Welcome to the program, and thank you so much for spending your hour with us here on the Alan Carter Radio Program. Uh, I'm going to start by asking this question, a question that I, I take from Indiana Jones. And I'm just going to paraphrase what he said, but cats, why does it always have to be cats? And I ask this because there is a viral video going around, and I don't know if you've seen it yet. It's on Instagram, and what it shows is a man getting off of his balcony when one of these downtown you know, condos, it could be anywhere in the downtown condo canyon, and his cat is clearly uh, gotten out somehow and walked along the ledge and is on a neighbor's balcony. And what he does is he gets out onto the balcony and starts shuffling along the ledge. The man filming this has this reaction. Yo, they're looking for their cat. No. Oh. <laughs> what is he doing? Oh, dude. Oh. God, I hate this freaking cat. Why does it always have to be cats? You can see that tonight on Global News if you don't, you know, I don't know, have anything in terms of a modern device that will show it to you. But, you know, you could wait till 530 to lit your television. That's what I'd do. That's what I'd recommend. You know, I had a dental appointment today. I just started my day with a dentist appointment, and uh, this is my semi-annual bold-faced lie. I don't know if you do this. This is the two times a year that I just straight-up lie. Uh, do, I do, do I floss daily? Well, yes, ma'am, I do. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. And she looks at me and says, mm, you'll be eating pablum in about 10 years. Speaking of guarantees, do you remember this from Monday when the Premier, Doug Ford, unexpectedly called this radio program and we were talking about cuts to legal aid, funding changes, efficiencies, as the government would call it? And I asked about the human cost of all of this and, and whether or not people would be able to get legal aid, and the Premier made a rather surprising guarantee. If anyone needs support uh, on legal aid, feel free to call my office. You will, I will guarantee you that you will have legal aid. Well, that guarantee continues to reverberate. This morning, in the Queen's Park Media Studio, uh, Legal Aid Ontario lawyers came together. And the, what I'll tell you what the Queen's Park Media Studio is, it sounds really fancy. But what it is, is it's, it's just a room with some chairs in it and a desk. And you can book it through any MPP. So, obviously, the sponsor of this one was an NDP MPP who sponsored this group to be able to come in and make this presentation. So that gives you a little bit of, a little bit of context, but nevertheless, these are Legal Aid Ontario lawyers who, and I'm quoting for their, from their media advisor that came out this morning, they're going to put the lie to Premier Doug's excuse for making cruel legal aid cuts at that Queen's Park news conference at 11 a.m. Their false claim that legal aid represents 10% fewer clients than in 2013 has formed the core of for the Ford government's defense of the cuts. I'm reading again from the media advisory, and then I want to play for you now. This is Dana Fisher, a lawyer, speaking this morning from the Queen's Park Media Studio. This week, Doug Ford called in to Alan Carter's show, AM640, 
and Ford told anyone who needs legal aid services to call him. He guaranteed them that he will get them legal aid. Last year, Legal Aid Ontario received an average of more than 1,000 phone calls for each working day of the year, which is actually an increase of 13.6% since 2013-14. If the public is taking, up, taking him up on his offer, I suspect that the Premier is learning a little bit about how busy Legal Aid actually is. Well, you have to ask yourself, how busy are the phone lines at the Premier's office after he's made that guarantee? Yesterday on this radio program, we heard from a lawyer who had heard that guarantee and had sent a letter to the government and to the Premier saying, I'll take you up on it. I got some clients that need legal aid. Also in that interview, there was something else that continues to reverberate and make news, and it really was the basis of the entire discussion. It was a discussion about what cost there might be to actually put beer and wine in corner stores, which has been a political promise by the Ford government. It was a promise going into the election and a promise that he intends to keep. The finance minister re-upped that promise in advance of the budget and then again in the budget. And right now we know that there are negotiations underway with the beer store because, of course, we have a contract. We have a contract with the beer store and breaking it to be able to expand beer and wine sales Well, that might cost, and we don't know what it's going to cost. Martin Regcon was my guest on that uh, radio program on Monday, which prompted the Premier to call, and and he has an interesting take on it today. His take, and I'm reading from uh, his column out this morning, this is Martin Regcon, who is the Queen's Park columnist for the Toronto Star, quote, For now, Ford is flailing. When he runs out of arguments, He calls up live radio shows and adopts his everyman persona. Quote, You don't think that the people of Ontario are mature enough to be able to go into, uh, let's say, Costco, Loblaws, walk by, grab a bottle of wine, couple of steaks, or a case of beer? Question mark. And that is a quote within a quote. That is what Premier Doug Ford said on this radio program on Monday. Again, back to quoting Martin's column. That was on Alan Carter's AM640 radio show. I'm sorry about the self-promotion, but, you know, hey, you got to, what, if I don't toot my own horn, my horn goes untooted, and there's nothing sadder than an untooted horn. It was an odd repost from Ford, suddenly conflating convenience stores and supermarkets as if he was projecting a love-hate relationship onto the airwaves. Imagine something so elusive as beer and steak in supermarkets, except for this image, is not a remote fantasy for most of us, merely a misapprehension for a premier who doesn't drink or eat red meat and perhaps forgets it's already on offer, because, of course, you can already get it in supermarkets. That's quickly, I'm just doing a little reading from Martin Radcon, who is the Queen's Park columnist for the Toronto Star, and will be my guest on Focus Ontario, which I tape directly after this program. I go right to tape that, and you can watch that, and we're going to respond more to the Ford interview in our program this weekend. That is Saturday at 5.30 p.m., Sunday, 11.30 a.m. Rebecca, you were trying to tell me something. I should move on? What are you? Oh, I should, I I want to get to, uh, I really do want to get to north of the city where in Bracebridge we have um, obviously an unfolding problem that is a big deal, and that is the uh, the state of emergency there. Uh, it remains in effect for Bracebridge. Rising water levels, flooding concern, uh, overnight water levels, and flows have risen. We're not certain what's going to happen over this weekend, 
But what I want to talk about is not precisely what's happening in Bracebridge, but what this portends for us and for the rest of Ontario's waterways as this massive melt is underway. And to talk about that, I have Rahana Rajabali, and I hope I got that right. Pardon me, Rahana. Not a problem, Alan. Um, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Can you can you give it to me so I can get it? Oh, right sure. It's Rehana Rajabali. Okay. See, my producer wrote it if phonetically, and her phonetic ideas are terrible. This is just... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you get that pronunciation from what you've written there. But nevertheless, let's get to the deal here. You are uh, with Toronto and Regional Conservation. You are a senior manager of flood risk management. What kind of flood risk are we looking at going forward this spring, considering what's happening in Bracebridge and areas north? And I think it's really interesting to understand the different kinds of watersheds that we have in Ontario. So here in the Toronto region, a lot of our waterways are much shorter and a lot of our snow has already melted. So while we're seeing areas to the north of us and to the east of us who have really big drainage areas and who still have a lot of snowpack left, while we're seeing them enter their most critical time over here in Toronto, it's quite a different story. Uh, Our snowpack has already melted and uh, we did have some rain over the weekend, but because our water our waterways are so short, all of that rainfall has already made its way down into the lake. And so from a river flooding perspective, we're much luckier over here in the GTA. But I, I think a lot of people are reminded of a couple of summers ago when the water levels were so high on Lake Ontario that, for example, you know, the Toronto Island was closed. And, and I think people are wondering, hmm, geez, is, is that coming our way? And that's a great question. So then we look at the next uh, phase in the water cycle. You're right. All of that water does make its way down into the lakes, but we're not seeing the same kind of levels that we saw in 2017. Now, the flood risks along Lake Ontario occur differently um, from those along rivers. Of course, in long rivers, they're primarily driven by rainfall events. But along the lake, there are a number of factors that affect that. The first is the inflow that comes in from Lake Erie. Now, that inflow is still quite high. And then there's all that runoff from the rivers that drain into Lake Ontario, and that's still occurring. And then the other factor is the outflow outflow from Lake Ontario, and that's controlled at the Moses Saunders Dam by the International Lake Ontario and St. Lawrence River Board under the International Joint Commission. Of course, the regulation of Lake Ontario outflows doesn't ensure full control of either upstream or downstream levels. But as things happen in Ottawa as uh, the Ottawa River starts to flow down and you have downstream risks along Montreal, there's kind of a balancing act that has to happen. Now, the good news is that we're not seeing levels like we saw in 2017. Right now, for Toronto, we're not uh, tooting our flood horns, if I may say, uh, because we're not reaching those levels yet. So instead, we stay in touch with our municipal partners and we jointly keep a very close eye on what's happening over the next couple of weeks on the lake. Rahana Raj, <laughs> Rahana Rajabali. Yeah. I got it. I got, got it. it. Nice. And I, I, I like to land the dismount. I do. And I like the fact that you talked about tooting horns. That's kind of a theme we have going on in the program. Just horn tooting. Thank you so. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, appreciate that very much. That update. That is. Uh, I think that's on a lot of people's minds. Well, we'll keep you posted, not into the red zone yet. Okay, thank you so much. We have to take a quick break, but when we come back, Kevin Donovan from the Toronto Star is going to join me with a fascinating update on the Sherman case. And just one more time, why? Why the cat? God, I hate this freaking cat. 
Hope you're having a fabulous day because, wow, what a gorgeous day it is out there. It's got that feel to it. Spring is here, despite the fact it looks like the weekend is just going to be awful. And if you're feeling crappy today, if you're feeling crappy today, just just think to yourself, yeah, oh, he just left. Oh, bummer. I had a great setup going here. I was just going to go to Mike Babcock, who just walked off the podium. I was just thinking of say, you know, your job is probably a little more secure than that, guys. Just pro- I'm just going to say, you're probably a little less worried about your own state of employment. I mean, you probably don't have the kind of cushion Mikey's got. Trust me, but that's fine. Let's move on to the big news that is in the Toronto Star front page. Big uh, big story here from uh, Kevin Donovan, who's just about to join us on the line. Uh, Toronto Police, the Homicide Squad, now have a working theory and an idea of what happened in the murders of the Shermans. And, of course, the bodies of Honey and Barry Sherman were discovered in the swimming pool room in the basement of their home on December 15th, 2017. After initially considering this to be a murder-suicide, Toronto police ruled it a targeted double homicide. That took six weeks. We have now some update on what is happening because we have some peek inside the investigation from court records. Kevin Donovan, welcome to the program. Good to be on you on your show. Thank you so much for being here. I, I understand you are at court today? Uh, no, that was yesterday. Yesterday was the court hearing. I understand. And and what did you learn from the court hearing? Yeah, so what, what we're doing, and this is the third time we've done it since the case began, is we're trying to unseal search warrants. Uh, and I'm appearing on behalf of the, of the Star, Toronto Star, to try and do that. And so part of the process, uh, we're trying to show that the police uh, have no reason to maintain the secrecy on the majority of the search warrant materials. And we're talking about well over a thousand pages, kind of a roadmap to the police investigation going back to day one. And so part of the process, we're allowed to cross-examine the uh, one of the police officers on the case. And so that's where this information came out. And so when I was asking him questions, uh, at one point I was getting a sense that maybe something had changed. And I said, do you have a theory of the case, the homicide squad? Do you have a theory? Long pause, about a minute actually. And then he said, yes. And I said, well, okay, what is the theory? And they wouldn't tell me that. Uh, But I said, what do you mean by theory? And he said, basically, we think we know what happened. And so then the the next question is, is there a suspect? And at that point, uh, the Crown attorney, who is basically his representative, and the the judge said, no, we we can't let him answer any more questions because it would defeat the purpose of the, the seal. And the seal is the thing that we're trying to get overturned. Uh, we also learned that there is a, quite a significant uh, high volume, was the word used, amount of uh, electronic records they're going to get inside of a week. And they wouldn't say what it is. My feeling is that it's, it's either a big uh, uh, cell phone record uh, dump or it's something related to banking information. It, it's, uh, it, it's, it's electronic information. I don't think it's a bunch of emails or anything like that. So something is happening. I, I, I definitely have detected a change uh, in the last uh, little while with this investigation, which I think at one point had gone quite cold. So it seems, at least from what you're seeing from court, that something has changed. And that is remarkable reporting and a remarkable admission that they have an idea of what happened. Because, as you say, up until this point, it has seemed like they are completely baffled. I think some a question that our listeners will have, Kevin, is what is the public interest 
in disclosing this information, and could this not jeopardize the case? Yeah, and that that's up to the judge to to decide. And, and just to help your listeners understand, the, the, the judge who is hearing the case is also the judge who has sealed all the warrants. And so she has access to all of the information because she's the presiding judicial official. What we're asking, we're not asking for anything that's going to jeopardize the case. What we're asking for is uh, information that, that wouldn't jeopardize the case, but would help the public understand what the police have been doing. And, and you may recall that at the start, for the first six weeks, there was a theory of murder-suicide. And, and one of the roles of the media, of course, is to scrutinize the activities of police and government. And it's to me, having worked on this for a long time, it's baffling that they made that that error and they must have lost some time uh, in the six weeks that they weren't looking at double murder. And so, so that's the sort of information that we'd like to have revealed so we can understand what uh, mistakes were made. And one always wants to know about the mistakes were made so they're not made again. And one of the things we raised in the court was in the MacArthur case. The police obviously uh, made some uh, some missteps and they weren't caught and some very bad things happened as a result. And I'm not saying that could happen in this case, but we must always try and bring scrutiny to bear. I'm confident that the judge is not going to release anything that will harm the investigation, but I, I'm pretty sure that there's information that can be released. Kevin Donovan is chief investigative reporter for Toronto Star. He is talking about uh, trying to get more information about the investigation, or at least the current status of the investigation, uh, into the double homicide of the Shermans. Kevin, thank you so much for being on our program. Thanks for having me on, Alan. I want to quickly move to SNC-Lavalin because we have an interesting development here, and I'm just going to quote uh, a little bit from the Globe and Mail. One of the SNC-Lavalin Group's principal lenders says the engineering firm has paid the price for wrongdoing committed by former employees and deserves a negotiated settlement to avoid a trial on criminal charges. That is extraordinary, is it not? This is a senior banker saying that they've paid the price. Quote, I don't think it's true that they're walking scot-free from this. They've paid a price, unquote, the CEO of the National Bank of Canada told the Globe and Mail on Wednesday. And to continue the quote, the question is, to what extent do you want to damage a company just for the sake of justice? That's why I think the deferred prosecution regime was put in place. Elise Mills is with Strategic Communications with Sussex Strategy Group and joins me on the line. Hi, Elise. Hi, Alan. Thanks for having me on today. Well, I appreciate you being here. You, you never know. The Premier might be call, might be listening. If you say something outrageous, if you, <laughs> if you mislead the people, Elise, he'll call. Well, you know, I, I like to think that I might be uh, rowing uh, with the right paddle with Mr. Ford, so I'm going to take my chances and think he might actually uh, uh, be okay with what I'm going to talk about with you today. All right. Well, let's talk about your perspective on SNC-Lavalin, whether or not you think a corporation has been like this has been punished enough. Well, it, it I think that there's 
a certain level of hubris taking place uh, with certain, you know, financial leaderships that are out there defending SNC. You know, as you know, Alan, uh, my roots are in Western Canada, and I think about the terrible time that oil and gas companies have had out here when they've played by all the rules and how uh, and how difficult it's been for them to get a certain level of respect with this particular government and how, you know, there's been a, over 180,000 jobs lost in Alberta. Wait a minute. Is this, this, how, this is coming down to a Quebec-Alberta thing? Well, I, it's hard for us in the West and the rest of Canada not to recognize that. All right, put, the to take off the behavior. Stetson for just a second now and start on thinking a on a national unit. level. <laughs> this is a national company and an international company, and its well-being helps the national economy. Well, if it was so concerned with its well-being and helping the national economy and being a sense, a source of pride for Canadians, they might not wanted to have paid for uh, a dictatorship's hookers and drugs. I mean, this is a company that sponsored. Listen, a don't talk down my weekends. <laughs> Well, you know I manage crisis communication, so if, you ever need to talk, if you're ever in trouble with the hookers and blow, you know, give me a call. I, I got you on speed dial, Elise. <laughs> hey, listen, will you bring me a freshly pressed suit in jail? You know what? I have been known to represent clients and bring a freshly pressed suit or dress uh, wherever they call me out to. So, <laughs> you, you know, honestly, if you were a client, you'd get some funny emails from me. These right. are the things I can do for you. 42 reps. If I was representing SNC, I would be putting out there that this is 2019 and the stories and accusations, not only the accusations, but the the evidence, uh, you know, this is this is a company that not it's not we're not talking, uh, you know, 50 years ago. Over a period of time, over two decades, it is, and this is all, this is the only thing we really know. We don't know the rest of what was going on, but over two decades, they did things like sponsor a dictator's soccer team in the stadium, and that same dictator... These are, these are employees that are gone. They're people. gone. So should this company going forward be held responsible in this kind of way, this this well, many people know, think that this Alan. is punitive. This is the reason we have this law, and I'm not talking about inappropriate pressure and all the rest and Jody, Jody, Jody. I'm just talking about this company. You got 30 seconds. Go. Well, you know, they talk about that. You know, do you want to damage this company for the sake of justice? Well, wait a second. Justice should be everything to us. And I think that they have to have the reason why Mr. Harper never wanted to have uh, that sort of agreement in place was because of the possible political interference. And I think that SNC needs to pull its head out of the sand and recognize that they tried to influence to to be able to get uh, the differential agreement in place, right? So, and the and the pressure that they laid on is so obvious and apparent. And if they're questioning why the prosecutor's office wouldn't give it to them, I think there's a lot more to this story. They're playing dumb, knowing that we as the public will never know why that decision was made. That decision was not made lightly. I think there's more egregious behaviors that force the prosecutor's hand to not give them the agreement that they were looking for. Elise, Elise, you're. You're out of time. Please get my dry cleaning ready. 
<laughs> well, I, I, you know my email address. If you ever need me, Alan, yeah. let me know. Yeah, all right. All right. The, the retainer is on the way. Thank you. That is uh, Elise Mills with Strategic Communications, who is Strategic Communications, pardon me, with Sussex Strategy Group. That is Sussex Strategy Group for those of you who may find yourselves in the slammer. Thank you, Elise. Thank you. Can we go live now to the Leafs general manager, Kyle Dubas? Can we go live to that? Plays very there hard and, and everything of that nature, but, everything but we need nature. him to be available. Yeah. And, you know, as, as you see, the suspension goes from three yeah. last year to five games. And I don't think if he continues with that sort How of How is it that you're so young and so good looking? I just don't, I like, I don't to, like, to I just, I want to like this kid. And defending his teammates but and come on. being available to the group. And I don't think Who let the intern be in charge? He does. You shake your body like you know how to use it. You play the hobby like whatever you choose it. But I don't mind. I just walk and smile. Let's take you back live. Kyle Dubas, the Leafs general manager. This morning when, when I talking. came here, uh, I knew his This man was born in 1985. With- I don't want to say the media, but I think the, the, the mm-hmm. view of him was was so polarizing. Some people thought he was great. Other people thought, you know, he we shouldn't sign him. And, and I remember when I first yeah. started, Dave Nolan was speaking the GM. About me we were talking here, about a one-year deal. And as Kyle Dubas talking. I just, you know, I know nothing about hockey. I talked about this yesterday on the program. I'm not going to pretend to be a sports guy. I don't know what I don't know anything about this. I just I just know that he is a young, good-looking fella. I'm just going to say. I'm just going to leave that there. And I might be jealous. And the other thing is, have you seen? He's got great suits. You know what? You know who I miss? I miss Brian Colangelo. Remember Brian Colangelo? Well, he was he, no Craig Sager, but yeah, he was close. Well, Craig Sager—that's not my style, but R.I.P. Yeah. So, but he, um, he's a good-looking fellow. I just—I was going to leave that there. Um, let's move on. What are we doing? Oh, video games. Did you know this? That there is a video game app that can actually detect. Your propensity to develop Alzheimer's, this apparently is a real thing. And to talk about it, I'm joined by Professor Michael Hornberger, who is the professor of dementia research at the University of East Anglia in the United Kingdom. Professor, thank you for being on the program. Thank you for having me. A video game that can tell me whether or not I may one day develop Alzheimer's? Did I read that correctly? Yes, so it's a game we developed several years ago, um, which really looks at how we do spatial navigation and orientation. So from loads of research data, we know that people who have Alzheimer's disease might show very subtle spatial navigation orientation deficits long time before they have to actually memory problems, up to 10 to 15 years. So we developed this kind of spatial navigation game um, to detect how people's navigation system is. And in the current study we just published, we can um, identify basically people who are at a higher genetic risk of Alzheimer's disease. Is it actually, is the game called Fortnite? No, it's called, it's called <laughs> it's uh, Hero Quest. No, that's fine. Yeah. So we, we designed this game to be casual, but completely scientifically valid. And uh, people can just play it. But it's not at the moment for any diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. We can just detect it, and from that we can develop then a diagnostic tool to use for people in clinics. Right, because whenever I watch my son playing Fortnite, I believe I'm developing dementia. I think that that is... (laughs) 
being what's happening. But to, to, to be serious about this, I think that there's a lot of people, especially in my particular vintage, shall we say, uh, approaching the uh, second half of the lifespan where you worry about, is there anything I can do or can I find out what what I should prepare for if something like this were to come my way? Exactly. I think many people are really worried that they will develop it. And because it's now so common, everybody has somebody in the family who, who is affected by dementia. So the point really for us is to identify people much, much earlier before they have memory problems. Because once people show memory problems, usually the disease is quite advanced. So to detect it that much earlier, what can you do then? The point is that many research um, studies show that you can actually reduce your risk of Alzheimer's disease by up to 30% just by changing your lifestyle, by changing your diet, physical exercise, and sleep in particular. So it's really important to be as early as possible diagnosed because you can potentially really still change your risk for developing dementia. Professor, people are going to want to know who are listening, all right, how do I play the game and how do I get the results? Yes, at the moment... The game uh, is basically not, as I said, for, to use for diagnosis, so you can't actually download it purely for research at the moment. So we had a launch of this um, where people could play it just um, to try it out and collect our normative data, so large data. But for diagnosis, as I said, you don't get any diagnostic information. But if people are interested, they can always Google Sea Hero Quest, which is the game, and they can find out more about the about the game, what it measures and what it uses, and it links also to other uh, dementia organizations. Professor, could you just Canada. spell that for me? I, I just spell what the what people are to Google. So it's uh, C S E A, and then Hero H E R O and Quest. U-U-E-S-T. Professor Michael Hornberger is from the University of East Anglia in the United Kingdom. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on this radio program. So thankful that you're here. And our next question for the next segment is going to be a spicy one, or at least perhaps a Montreal spiced one. And that is, how do I stop eating so much meat? And should I? Because here's the thing. The evidence is growing that a meat-based diet is not particularly good for you. And I am at that vintage, as I mentioned in our last segment, where I am beginning to see the horizon. And I would like my horizon to include my colon. That's what I would like. And so I have to think about what do I eat? Because I am an oppositional sort. So the more you tell me, that that salami is not good for me the more I chop it up and put it in my eggs in the morning. I just, I love the meat. There is nothing that cannot be improved with bacon. I believe this. In fact, I, uh, I, I don't follow any particular organized religion except for maybe bacon. That is how I roll. 
The kid has class, taste, finesse. Thank recognizes you. talent. Why is why is nobody doing a a, a restart of Snagglepuss? I don't know. Why I think you should be doing a lead that charge. Action? I think. Why is nobody doing a live act? But my question to you is: over this next segment, if you are like me, if you are a person who counts the days until it is warm enough to have a charcoal grill going outside and charring up some sweet meat. If you are like me, what do you do? I want to read you from a story from Josh Elliott, who is the national online journalist for Global News. And here's what he says. Veggie burgers that look, taste, and bleed like real meat are poised to become a billion-dollar business, and everyone wants a taste of the action. The U.S. company Beyond Meat just announced it will start selling its plant-based burgers in 3,000 Canadian grocery stores following a wildly successful partnership with the fast food chain A&W. The burgers will be available in Canadian stores starting May 1st. Beyond Meat said that in a news release on Tuesday. Oh, yeah! A veggie burger that bleeds! Woo! Rob is our uh, operator here, and uh, he is a committed vegetarian. A vegan, sir? Mm, uh, yeah. Yes. I'm allergic to dairy milk. Cows. milk. So you were a vegan by necessity, not by... Yeah, I did I did like Brie back is in the day. Is that not a leather satchel I see you I'm wearing holding? leather basketball uh, shoes, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. You're a fraud. I know. Is there... I'm going to say this, though. You, you shouldn't fight it. Just eat the meat. Just don't go so heavy on it. Switching to a plant-based diet not only benefits your health, it can help protect the environment as well. I am reading now from Whole Foods, Plant-Based Diet, a Detailed Beginner's Guide. Whole Foods, where you can spend $37 on a banana. So I'm really not going to take a whole lot of advice from Whole Foods. Hey, that's an ethical banana. It is, yeah. Sustainable banana. It takes a banana to raise a village. Chef Reikia is from Rosalinda Restaurant. That's at 133 Richmond West at York. I've never heard of it because it's a plant-based restaurant, and I just avoid that kind of thing. So, Chef? Yes, hello. Hi. Uh, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me there is something that I can do to replace the meat that I believe may be killing me. <laughs> well, I think I think a, a more positive way to look at it is that you're not uh, you're not missing it. You're just adding new things to your diet as opposed to removing all of these things that you're going to miss. Here's the thing I don't get. Is it's like, oh, you know, eat this hunk of tofu. It tastes just like bacon. Well, why don't I just eat the bacon? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I think there are a lot of different styles of plant-based and vegan restaurants. And one of the things that we really try and focus on at Rosalinda is, as opposed to making something that isn't meat and doesn't taste like meat, we don't attempt to make it taste like meat. We just want to make it taste as good as it can and uh, really let the flavor of some beautiful Ontario heirloom carrots shine through or some, you know, delicious Ontario berries, like really just focusing on um, letting those flavors shine as opposed to trying to make them taste like something else. Well, listen, good things grow in Ontario. I believe that. It's not that I'm vegetable adverse. 
It's just that I am, and I am struggling with this, and I believe I am not alone out there saying, you know, like I'm trying to put more beans into my diet, and you know, that is not helping my relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that can be a thing. You just have to, uh, whenever you're cooking beans, one of the big things is if you're boiling them at home is changing the water out often. And uh, if you're using canned, give them a good rinse beforehand. Okay. What about yeah. the Beano? Do you recommend the Beano? Do you know, know what that is? I, I do know what it is. <laughs> I would think that as a vegetarian, you just carry that in a satchel with you everywhere. No, I think I think you know I've been I've been vegan for a number of years, and I think your body just adjusts to it after a little while. So, Rich. So what you're saying is I've just got to work on my bean tolerance. Yeah, one hundred percent. You just got to build it up. <laughs> All right. Tell me something that I can make when I've just booked poker at my place. I got eight dudes coming over. Uh, we're going to be playing poker, and we are going to consume our own body weight in other animals. Uh, right. What is it that I can put into that that says, hey, dudes, just maybe back off on the beef here and have some of what Chef suggested. Go. Exactly. I mean, I think uh, great things for, for parties when you're having a big group of people all over. I mean, there are a lot of things that are already vegan, like chips and guacamole. Those are already vegan. Uh, you could make a plate of nachos using a plant-based cheese and then maybe putting some refried beans on there instead. So a plant-based cheese? Yeah. What? Yeah, it's a, it's a thing. I, Yeah. So so what? So is, you know, discarded chewing gum on the sidewalk. I mean, I want to eat it. <laughs> some of them, you know, we make uh, at Rosalinda, we make uh, some of our cheese in-house. Uh, and then uh, yeah. but there are there are definitely some brands that you can go out and purchase at like most local grocery stores now, especially in Toronto. Chef Rickia is from Rosalinda Restaurant. That's at 133 Richmond West at York. I'm sure it's on some sort of, you know, app for vegans. Is there like an app that you have, Rob? Uh, is there a vegan app? We, I mean, uh, we, we're on Happy Cow, which is, which is an app. <laughs> I'm sure. Okay, good. Which is uh, a, which is, it's an app that highlights uh, vegan and vegetarian-friendly restaurants. We also have an Instagram page, a yep. Facebook page. Uh, I'm sending all of my bacon-loving people, all those listeners out there. What, what's a what, what's a dinner uh, run you, just for the folks know? Like a dinner for two, an app. No, no booze. Take the booze out. No booze. Uh, I mean, if you were if you were to come in, the way that our menu is set up, it's for it's set up for sharing. So lots of smaller plates that you can share between people. Yeah. I mean, I think if you were to get an app and then two mains, you'd be looking at around seventy five dollars for two people. Maybe a little less, depending on how hungry you are. I'm a hungry fellow. Thank you, All Chef. Right. I appreciate You're you being welcome. on the program. Thank I you so thank you so much. I have got to go get something to eat. I am. Great. Right from here now, I got to go, and I'm taping Focus Ontario, that big program that uh, it is the greatest political affairs show in the history of television, and I say that without hyperbole at all. It is just that good. I'm back tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. Goodbye.